Well, good morning, Genesis Church. If you're new or visiting, my name is Jerry. I am the campus pastor here, and we're glad to have you with us today. Hello to our friends that are tuning in online. A special hello to my friend Tori and the Weed family and the Hutchins family. We miss you guys. We hope to see you in person sometime soon. Um, We've talked about this a little bit today, but today's a really exciting day for our church family. If you're new or visiting, you'll you'll get a a little bit of a feel for this after service, but we are in week four of a four-week celebration where we've been celebrating some amazing things that God has been doing in and through our church family through all the weirdness of the last two years. And so we have lots of reasons to celebrate. And if you like celebrations, you know this, we've been giving away a lot of free stuff the last few weeks. That's one of the ways that we're celebrating God's generosity. So after service today, you'll be glad to know we've got free cupcakes in the lobby and you need to take three of them. They all need to be gone today, okay? If you got your picture taken week one, we've got those printed and framed for you. They're also out in the lobby. Today, we're also giving away Um, free mud love bracelets and these greater bookmarks as just a a, a way for us to remind ourselves of what God has been doing in and through our church family. These are available for you at the info hub. And you notice Paul was wearing a pretty cool Genesis hoodie. We're giving those away this week. We're going to draw names for those. And so if you haven't registered yet this week, we're encouraging you to register every week. Fill out one of these cards at the lobby or at the info hub, drop it in the yellow bucket. Or if you're online, there should be a link right now in the comment section. Fill that out. We would love to draw your name. But just in case we don't draw your name, you'll be glad to know you can order and purchase your own Genesis hoodie. We're launching an apparel store. It's launching today. You can go to genesischurch.me forward slash apparel, and you can get t-shirts and hoodies and all kind of cool stuff with our GSM, our student ministry, our gen kids, or any of that. So if you're afraid you're going to miss out, go and order one of those. But what I want you to know is we are not handling the money on this. We make no proceeds on this. This is a third party. And so everything that you're buying, you're buying from them and not for us, okay? We make no money off of these. So be sure to go buy those and and support Genesis Church out in the community, okay? Now, if you like free stuff, you've loved the celebration. You're like, yes, what's it gonna be next week? But I know that some of you are secretly celebrating because you're like, finally, it's week four, which means they're not gonna talk about it next week. We'll move on past greater. And you know what? It's okay. We love you too. We're glad you're part of the Genesis family. I just know that I know how our our minds work, right? But just in case you're new or visiting, let me tell you what it is that we are celebrating. Two years ago, literally right before COVID-19 shut down our world, we launched into this initiative as a church family where we said by Easter of 2022, we wanted to collect seven and a half million dollars to help us accomplish three specific things. We wanted to grow in our efforts of making disciples, reaching our cities and changing the world. Now, when we talk about making disciples, this is what Jesus has commanded his followers to do. And this is the fuel behind everything that we do here from kids and students and adults and groups and worship environments and outreach. We want to train and equip people to follow Jesus so they can do the same in their everyday life. That's disciple making. When it comes to reaching our cities specifically, we said we wanted to equip our physical locations in Carmel and Noblesville to better serve our local communities. And so you've noticed here in Carmel, we've been making some upgrades to the building and we've got some more planned in the future that we're excited to tell you about. But a big part of Greater was relocating our Noblesville campus. We have felt for a long time like God is saying, you need to get ready. You're not gonna be there a whole lot longer. And we keep saying, where are we gonna go? And he said, I'll tell you when we get there. But over the last two years, we've been able to set aside a building fund to help offset a lot of those costs. And so because of our continued generosity or um, collective generosity, we've, we've got those funds set aside and that's exciting. When we talk about changing the world, we're talking about increasing in generosity beyond the four walls of our church. And we, we celebrated this last week, but I want you to hear this one more time. 
Over the last two years, in all the turbulence of the last two years, our church family has been able to give away over $650,000 to ministry partners locally and around the world. And we think that's important because we know that we serve a generous God and we want to be a generous church. And so we love celebrating those kinds of things with you. And, and later today, later in the service, you're going to get to see and hear stories from people just like me and you and how this greater journey has impacted their life and how they've learned to trust God in ways they never dreamed possible or imagined. But today we want to celebrate you, the individuals and the families that have walked this crazy journey with us. We are so thankful. Our staff team, our elders, we are so thankful for you, your, your encouragement and your faithfulness. And so as we move past greater, we want you to know the mission stays the same. We're all about pointing people to Jesus. And so as we jump into God's word today, I want to take a moment to pray, to thank him for his faithfulness and to ask for his guidance today and in every day past this. So would you please pray with me? <clears throat> Father, we, we do, we want to stop <clears throat> and thank you. I was reminded when we were worshiping earlier and singing to you, sometimes I make worship about me and how I feel but you never change. And so regardless of how I feel, regardless of what we go through, you are worthy of every ounce of praise that we have. And God, you have been so good to us. And possibly the strangest two years of our lives, you have just continued to show up time and time and time and time again. And so we want to say thank you. We're thankful for the journey of these last two years. We're ex I'm excited to see where you're going to take us in the future but we want to lift everything that we do to you. As we, as we study in John 3 today, Holy Spirit, will you help us not just to hear these words, but would you help us to make these words our mantra? When we don't know what else to do in life, would you help us to come back to John 3.30? Would you help us to focus on Jesus making you great and to becoming less in the process so all people see and hear and think about is you? We love you, and it's in your great name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. Um, as many of you know, we're studying through the Gospel of John this year in its entirety. Last week we were in John 5, but today we're going to jump in a time machine. We're going to go back a little bit to John chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I, I need you to help me settle a debate that came up in, in my home earlier this week, okay? So we were comparing calendars, me and my wife, and seeing what's going to happen throughout the week and specifically on Saturday. My wife said, oh, our son has a track meet on Saturday afternoon it was late in the afternoon, and I didn't think much of it. I just said, who in their right mind is scheduling track meets late on a Saturday afternoon? Like, it just, why wouldn't you do that on Saturday? This is literally my thought. Why don't you do that on a Saturday morning? And then I went one step further and said out loud, don't people know it's March Madness and people want to be watching basketball games? They don't want to be at a track meet. And my wife, who I know loves me very much, said, well, gosh, I guess it's sad that they didn't call and ask your opinion on the matter, right? <laughs> now, she has used that phrase frequently. And I knew what she was saying. I, it was like a gut check for me. But then she went one step further, you guys, in front of our children. She said, Jerry, why do you have to be such a control freak? Now we've taught our kids, it's not nice to call people names. So I was a little offended there. But then I was like, a control freak? I'm not being a control freak. Like, what do you mean? I'm just trying to make it so that everybody can like what I like and can, yeah. So uh, freak sounds strong. I prefer a control enthusiast. Okay. An enthusiast implies expertise and enjoyment. And I feel when it comes to college basketball, I have a little bit of expertise and I want everyone, I want to maximize the enjoyment of basketball. I don't want to be a track meet. Okay. 
Nobody called to ask me. Had they, I would have said, why don't you move it up a little bit? Everybody be happy, right? There's really no debate. My kids were teasing me. They're like, dad, you are kind of a control freak, okay? But aren't we all a little bit? Don't we all have a control enthusiast inside of us? Now, some of us really need to chill out. Some of us like are professionals at this. But I think if we were honest, there's different facets of our life that we try really hard to control, specifically if it's something that's very important to us or something that we think we're really good at. And so why do we do it? Why do we try to control these things? Why do we jockey for position and wrestle for control? Because really, we think we know what's best, don't we? We think we know what's best for us. And if people were to ask, we're happy to tell them, I think this is best for you too. It's just what we do. And I, the more I've thought about this, I think that there's an unwritten rule in our world that I think we all subscribe to and we're all pursuing in some way. And I think it goes something like this. The more influence you have, the more control you can have. And the more control you have, the more power you have. And the more power you have, you get closer to the top of the power structure where everybody has to do what you want to do, which means you're pretty special. You're pretty great. I mean, is that not the message of our world? All the talk about influencers, that's what we want in our life. Well, today we're going to look at the life of a man who said, actually, that's not how you measure greatness. That's not even the point of life. And this guy was a really big deal. His name is John. People refer to him as John the Baptist. We've talked about him in here a lot. But this story that we're going to look at today was, came at the height of his career, the pinnacle. And he says, actually, if you want to know the secret to being great, it's not being in control. It's actually learning to minimize yourself more and more and more. So let's jump into his story and let's see what we can learn. But beyond learning it, let's learn how to apply it to our everyday lives. So John chapter 3, verse 22 says this, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing at Aon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. Interesting little side note there. Verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going out to him. Now, let me give you a little bit of context so you can understand what's happening. At this point in time, John the Baptist would have been known as a powerful influencer in the nation of Israel. And crowds of people would have come from far and wide to hear what he had to say and to be baptized by him or his followers. And so from his disciples' perspective, the people that followed him, they, they looked at John and like, you're the man, you're the guy that's in charge. You started this movement and people should listen to what you say. But now this guy named Jesus, who John had baptized just a few months before, was gaining more followers. And all of a sudden there's a debate that breaks out. Who's better? Who's greater? Who baptizes people better? Now, just, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of John the Baptist's friends and followers. You can sympathize with, with them, right? The control enthusiast in you would come out and say, whoa, 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 time out. John was here first. John started baptizing people first. By the way, John was baptizing, John baptized Jesus. And if you didn't know, his name's John the Baptist. Ain't nobody baptizing better than him, right? 
And if that's true, John would have an identity crisis on his hand. At least if he were me, he would. If that's my name, like, isn't that what I'm, what I'm good at? But apparently John the Baptist viewed it completely different. Look at what he says in verse 27 and 28. John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. So when his disciples come and confront him about this popularity of this guy named Jesus on the other side, he says, guys, this is the way it's supposed to be. I've told you this. He's supposed to be more popular. Now, this is very consistent with everything that we learn about John's life. Back in John chapter one, people come to him and they're like, hey, John, why, who, who are you and why are you baptizing? What's, what is this all about? And he says, okay, first of all, I just want you to know my job description from God is that I was sent to baptize people so that the Messiah would be revealed and I can point people to him. Now, that's a really important job description, right? But now all of a sudden it's catching on. John's job is working and more and more people are paying attention to who Jesus is. But now his disciples are, they're, they're a little nervous for him, but John's like, guys, this is the way I, this is my job is to point people directly to him. But all of a sudden people are actually paying more attention to Jesus. And John says, oh, I can rest in the fact I've just done a good job. In fact, he's going to go on to use a really familiar analogy and he's going to say, I want you to understand my relationship with Jesus because it makes me joyful and it should cause us to celebrate. Look at what he says in verse 29. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. So John says, okay, guys, everybody calm down. I want you to think of this like a wedding. And at this wedding, Jesus is the groom and I'm just the best man. Now, what is the role of a best man at a wedding? The role of a best man is to support the groom and to stay out of the way, to stay off in the shadows so all the attention goes over there. Can you imagine going to a wedding where the best man tried to be the center of attention? Somebody picked the wrong best man. That's the worst best man ever. It would be super awkward. And that's the point that John is making here. When his control enthusiast friends come and say, John, but what about, what about you? He's quick to say, hey, fellas, I appreciate you and I love you too, but this isn't my wedding. It's, it's not about me. I've, I've made that really clear. It's never been about me. And he goes as far as saying, look, this joy is mine and my joy is now complete. I'm happy about this. Now, nobody in our world at the top, at the pinnacle of their career says, this is great. People are paying less attention to me. So don't miss this. John's teaching us something that he is modeling for us, especially when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Now he's going to go on and say something even more profound. In John 3.30, the first part, he says this, he, Jesus, must become greater. Now I see some of you nodding your heads. We're familiar with this passage. This has been the theme for this greater journey over the last two years. He must become greater. And for those of us that follow Jesus, we're like, yes, of course. Of course, Jesus must become greater. I've never met. I know so many of you and many of you would admit, oh, absolutely. I need Jesus to be greater in my life every moment of every day. And I want Jesus to be greater in the lives of my friends and family that don't know him. And we want Jesus to be greater in our schools and in our government. We're all about Jesus being greater, but that's not all John says. He says, he must become greater and I must become greater. 
less. And this is where it gets really difficult for us. Because we know that Jesus is great. We don't have a problem with that. But why can't we be just a little less, a little more great? Not than Jesus. He can be great, like great up here. But why can't we be right down here? Because if that were true, everybody would be great. And it'd be great. Everybody would be happy with that. But John's like, guys, this isn't how it's meant to work. Do you, do you understand who he is? Now, I like how pastor and author Kent Hughes describes this. I want you to think of this. This isn't profound, but I think we need to be reminded of it. He says, we live in a competitive society that is structured to compel us to measure our achievements against everybody else. In other words, the world that we live in is built on this philosophy that our goal isn't to be good, it's to be great and it's to be better and to let everyone know how good we are and we compare ourselves. And so the goal is to work our way, work our way up the chart. And we want everybody to know how good we are. Let me give you a practical example that I think many of you can relate to. A few years ago, Allstate Insurance Company surveyed all their drivers. And they said, on a scale from one to 10, rate yourself on how safe you are as a driver. Now, what is the average from one and 10? What is it? Five. You know that, right? You know what the average score was of this survey? Seven. The average driver rated themselves as a seven. You see the problem, right? You can't be average and above average at the same time. It indicates that there's something inside of us that says, oh, well, yeah. I mean, everybody else is average. I'm just a little above average. Probably a little above, above average, if you know what I'm saying, right? There's something inside of us. We just can't, we can't help ourselves. We want to be better. And if anyone, if there was ever another human other than Jesus that could have said, oh, that's me. I'm actually pretty good. I'm great. It would have been John the Baptist. In the gospel of Matthew and in the gospel of Luke, we have this recorded twice where Jesus is speaking about John. In Luke 7, 28, Jesus says this about John the Baptist. I tell you the truth among those born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Now, can you imagine if Jesus had said that about you? There's no one greater than Jerry Neville. There's no one greater than Paul Mumal. Guys, I know myself well enough to know that I'd be like, hey, did you hear what Jesus said? I'd be happy to sign your Bible if you, you know, whatever, for a small fee, right? There's something in us. Like we thrive off the most humble person. It's what we, we cannot, we literally can't help ourselves. But John was so different. Jesus said these things about him and he said, the goal isn't that the focus is on me. The goal is that every bit of glory that comes my way, my job, my purpose is to direct and to deflect it all back to Jesus. Now we know that up here, but man, oh man, isn't it hard to do in our everyday life? But I want you to think about what John knew to be true about Jesus. We learned that John had discovered that Jesus was the Messiah. When John baptized Jesus, scripture tells us he saw the heavens open. He saw the Holy Spirit come upon him like a dove. He heard God speak from heaven and say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So John in that moment discovered this guy's the Messiah. But actually John, we get, we get a hint here that John didn't just believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He believed that he was God in the flesh. And it has to do with that wedding analogy that he shared earlier when he said that Jesus is the bridegroom. I, I, this is really interesting. The Old Testament scriptures teach that Yahweh, the one true God of Israel, he's referred to as the groom of Israel, his people. 
So when John says he's the groom, he's saying, oh, he's bigger than the Messiah. He's God in the flesh. And so when John says he must become greater and I must become less, he is actually telling us there's no competition. There is no competing with Jesus. And oh, by the way, it's really important that we understand where we stand compared to him. It's not that we're worthless. Obviously, we're worth a lot to him that he would die in our place. But John says, we have got to understand where we stand in comparison with Jesus. John knew that every ounce of glory in our lives needs to be directed back to Jesus. Let me flip it and think of it like this. This might help. This is actually a little painful. Every time you and I, and I'm, I hate to admit how terrible I am at this, but every time we look for a pat on the back, every time we bring the encouragement our way, even, even when we're trying to make it about Jesus, we are stealing glory that belongs to him. And that's not a small thing. We think, oh, a little here, a little there. I just want people to know who I am. Did you know that Satan, God's greatest enemy, that's the reason he was cast out of heaven. Because he said, oh, I want, I want glory that belongs to God. And he would love nothing more than to fool us into thinking in all of our pursuits of Jesus. Oh yeah, why don't you get a little bit for yourself on the side? It's okay for people to know who you are. That was his problem. He wants it to be our problem. And John says, no, this, this shouldn't be an issue. He must become greater. I must become less. Now, I want to confess to you. When I read John 3.30, I understand the principle. I understand the value in it. But if you're like me, or if I'm like you, when I read this, I think of John the Baptist as being a contemporary of Jesus. And I hold him on this really high pedestal. Like, well, of course John would say that. John's John. So I think it helps us to see examples of everyday life of what this looks like. And I want to share one with you right now. There was a man named William Carey, who was an English missionary to India in the 18th century. He's known as the father of modern missions, and he's best known for um, translating the Bible into six different languages. He's got a pretty incredible life. But there's a story about him, and it has to do with this couch. This is William Carey's couch, and it's on display at Regent Park College at Oxford University. And here's the story. William Carey was laying on this couch when he was close to death. And he rolls over and he looks at his friend and he says, hey, when I die, don't talk about William Carey. Talk about William Carey's savior. Now, this is a man that had an amazing legacy for God's kingdom, but he said, please don't waste any time talking about me. And now his legacy is that this couch is on display because of his famous last words that has everything to do with Jesus. Jesus must become greater and I must become less. That is the goal of our lives as followers of Jesus. Now, I know that it's not easy, but because he is who he is and because he's done what he's done for us, we have to have that separation so that everyone sees him for who he is. And that's why over the last two years, as we've launched into this greater journey, without knowing what the two years would be like, we chose this passage, John 3.30. And as we move past greater, we want this to be our mission moving forward. We want the name of Jesus to become greater. So people don't talk about Genesis. In anything that we do, it's all about Jesus all the time. And I know for many of you, I love sitting and sharing stories with you of what these last two years have been like. But I want to take a moment for you to hear 
from some of our people in our church family of what these last two years have meant to them in, in this journey, not just to grow in generosity, but to learn what it looks like to make Jesus greater for them to become less. So take a moment, check this out. When this started, I just retired from Stanley Security, which, um, you know, I had a really good income and I didn't know what it was going to be like if um, I retired and didn't even have a job set up. I was at work one day and my blood pressure got to uh, 200 and something and I ended up in the hospital for a day and a half. So my girls told me, you have to retire, you know, uh, 70 years old and working 50 or 60 hours. And um, so I did, gave my two week notice and retired without having a job or a part-time job. Didn't know what I was gonna do. And then this grader came along and was asking me to pledge some money. And I thought, I don't know you know, how much I can, how, how much I can pledge. But if I, if I'll pledge so much money, and if I can't, if I don't feel like I'm pledging enough, I'll serve at the church. I want to do anything and everything I can because he has blessed me so much. I can't give enough back to him. I've seen God stretch me and make me so much more closer to Him um, that I, I just feel like a new person and a changed person through greater and um, through what God has done for me. So my initial thought with Greater was we're getting a building and I was really excited about the building. I was not focused on the other aspects of the Greater initiative and I committed to the building and I really wanted to see that through and I felt like that was the main goal. But as this whole two years has kind of played out, these crazy two years, um, we've seen uh, just the way that God's moving and um, it's kind of like you're watching a movie and you know the ending's going to be good, but you don't know how it's going to end. Um, but you know you're just along for the ride. As, you know, the weeks kind of went by and it was, um, you know, Paul or Steve or any, anybody was, you know, we just gave this much money away and I would find myself just kind of grumbling <laughs> from, from home because we were kind of at home at the time and I was just like, oh, if if I could just be in charge of this, <laughs> it wouldn't take two years. Like I really, it, my heart was just really not in the giving. It just slowly, I slowly felt just my heart turning to this is God was saying, like, I've got this. Like these people are more important than a building. My heart completely changed, even though I've been giving since I was a kid. I've always known like this isn't my money, this is God's money and he can do whatever he wants. This wasn't a building fund. This was just initiative to show that Jesus is greater. And I don't know, that totally just changed my heart. I've always had, I've always had faith that God would provide for us and he has. And so it was like, well, of course he would provide this 
a crazy amount of money to reach all these people and a building. But it took me a while to get there. <laughs> it just took a bit. <laughs>
for his people so that we could be restored to him. He, he has proven the links that he will go to to protect us and to save us. But I want you to hear what John, what's recorded at the very end of John chapter three about Jesus. It says, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. John's gospel is a gospel of belief. And John the Baptist, if you were to ask him, he would say, don't look at me, look to him. Put your trust, put your hope in him. And so for those of us that follow him, I want to encourage us to continue to follow him on that journey, to lean into the community of this church family as we live out this life together. But if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want you to know he he is waiting for you. He's extended an offer to you that can change your life. He wants you to be a part of his bride, this church. And so if you're ready to make a, a decision for Jesus today, you can drop us a comment in the comment section or email us at info at genesischurch.me so we can follow up with you this week. Or me and Paul will be available after service. We would love to pray with you or talk with you, but there's not a greater decision because we believe that Jesus must become greater and we must become less. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe that you are who John said you are, the lamb of God that, that has come to take away the sins of the world. You died in our place. You left the comforts of heaven. And because you are who you are, we want you to become greater. And Holy Spirit, would you become, would you help us to become less? And it's not because we're worthless. We are of such great value to you, but we have to become less. And the more we become less and the more you become greater, everyone around us will see you. And so as we move forward past this greater initiative in our church family, Jesus, we just want people talking about you. Would you come and move in powerful ways and would you use us to make your name greater? We love you. We're so thankful. It's in your name we pray. Amen.